Let's then turn in our Bibles this morning to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. We'll be reading from verse 20 to the end of the chapter. That's verse 40. I'll read it to you. You can follow along in your own Bibles. And then we'll have a look at what the Lord has to say to us this morning from His Holy Word. Beginning at chapter, chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Concerning the things to come, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they did not fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. For he considered the reproach of the, for the sake of Christ to be of greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees himself, who sees him who is invisible. By faith he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies in peace and did not perish with those who disobeyed. What more can I say? Time is far too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephite, David, Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised back to life again. Others, other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they died by the sword. They wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on the mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive that which was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not have been made perfect without us. Amen. 
Today we're going to be looking at verses 22, 21, and 20, or 20, 20, 21, 22. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each one of his sons, each one of the sons of Jacob, uh, Joseph, sorry. And he worshipped, leaning on his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. We've been looking about the way of faith, answering the, the question, what does faith look like? How are we to discern faith? How are we to know what faith really is? It has been said to me many a time, you cannot see my faith. You don't know if I believe or not. You can't judge me. You have no right or ability to see what's in my heart. And I would totally agree with that. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I won't even speculate. Whether you're high or you're low, you're positive, you're negative. I don't know. I, personally, I don't even care. I don't know. Sounds awful from a pastor. But seriously, your personal private liberty to do so. But when it comes to the color of your faith, the content of your relationship with God, how you're doing, I can judge. I can look with a, with a discerning eye and see where you are in the kingdom, whether you're walking with the Lord or whether you're not. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be, you know, uh, have an MD or some sort of degree to do these things the bible says his mind is in his heart so he is uh, your walk will demonstrate where you are with the lord and and if you're loving the lord that love will be demonstrated in your life i'm not saying you'll be happy happiness is not necessarily one of those things that is is uh, required <clears throat> Many of the prophets went about wailing and complaining. One of the books of the Old Testament is called Lamentations. The wailings, the complainings, the moanings. Job. Not Job. The other one. I always get them mixed up. Not Job. Jonah. Getting old. Jonah. When he was called to the Lord. A man who was a prophet. A man who was walking and preaching. He complained and ran away. And when God moved and caused revival, he sat and complained about it. I knew you'd do this. I know what kind of God you are. So loving and kind. And He was walking with the Lord. Beloved, we're looking at what faith looks like. And here in this Three, in these three verses, the writer wants us to show us that, that faith continues all the way to the end. The three men that he uses here, the three patriarchs that he uses here, are not necessarily the most triumphant, not necessarily the most fell free. The, the, they all have their difficulties. They all have their problems. They're very, very flawed people. And yet we see the evidence of faith. And the writer here goes right to the end of their lives. He demonstrates that even in their last, I don't want to say moments, but in the, the last 
chapter of their life, they're demonstrating faith. And it goes, their demonstration of faith goes beyond their life into the, the, the lives of the people who are coming after them. Their faith reaches beyond themselves, beyond their own experience. It's not limited by their own experience. Because they know who God is and they know that the story of redemption is being unfolded beyond them. It doesn't stop with just them. It doesn't stop with the idea. Well, you know, someone had once said that uh, if I was to leave, the church would die. Foolishness. Nonsense. Because it's not a work of Kyle, it's a work of God. And it would continue, probably do better without me than with me. Because the blessing of the Lord would be upon it. It's not the man, but rather the, the divine act. God unfolding, doing his work. And here we see that. It says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. Very interestingly put, we know that Jacob and Esau twins. It says Amalekai, Jacob have I loved, but Esau I hate. We know that Jacob was not necessarily that, you know, he's called the deceiver. He was a sneaky guy, a mama's boy, loved by his mom and ignored by his dad. Esau was a manly man. He was a... a, a, a a hunter, furry and fuzzy, man of the fields, a sweaty guy who never washed, apparently, smelled like the, <laughs> a bit rough. Isaac only was the opposite. Isaac was a very, you know, do you know the patriarchs in the Bible in Genesis? To each one, about 12 chapters is given. I'm sure you all know this. To each of the patriarchs, about 12 chapters is given about each and every one. Except for Isaac, he gets two and a half. He gets two and a half. And in those two and a half chapters, <laughs> doesn't do well. Now, Isaac actually lived longer than any of the other patriarchs. He actually lived the longest time, and we know the least about him. But we know that he was a very quiet, thoughtful kind of man. We know that he was a very methodical kind of guy. We know that... That he was materialistic. He did things to, to, to gain wealth in a worldly sense. And he enjoyed worldly things. He enjoyed his son Esau. This manly man. This hunter. And yet the Bible identifies him as being a man of faith. Even though we wouldn't say that he's one of the, I, we wouldn't say identify him as one of the champions of the faith. He, like his father before him, when the Philistines confronted him about his wife, they said, "Oh, you're, that's a really lovely woman." He said, "Oh, it's not my wife; it's my sister," because he understood that, that the Philistines were fairly capable of killing him to take his wife. And so he lied about that. Instead of trusting in God, instead of trusting in God's protection, he uses a bit of uh, deception to cover that up. And God gives King Abimelech, that's his name, Abimelech, Abimelech, I always say, but it's not Abimelech, Abimelech, a revelation 
and says, this is not the man's sister, this is the man's wife, and you know, be careful there. And he comes back, the king comes to Isaac and says, what have you done? What happened? What would happen if, if one of our people had slept with her? What judgment would you have brought upon our nation? And it's a great slight against the people of the kingdom when the people of the world have more insight into God things than the people of the kingdom do. So Isaac, we see here, identified as a, as a man of faith and his faith goes beyond himself. He demonstrates his understanding that God is fulfilling his plans and his purpose and they supersede. And we know again that we all know the story. It's quite kind of a famous story of how Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Remember Esau had sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge, oats, lentil stew, red lentil stew. And then because of Rebecca's deception, he, Jacob gets the blessing. And Esau comes back and he's all, he's all like, there's nothing for me. And he says, well, and his dad gives him the leftover blessings. Now, the leftover blessings still left him a millionaire. Still left him one of the most powerful men in that entire region. But still, God's had different plans, different purposes. And here we see in this and in the conduct of Isaac right at the end. And the, the statement that the writer is making is true real faith perseveres all the way to the end. And sees a future beyond themselves. You and I need to live in the confidence of knowing that God is in control. And that our lives at the end are, as, are stronger in the faith than they were at the beginning. We all know this. That it's easy to be enthusiastic at the beginning of something. When you start a new project you're like yes let's go. Especially when we come to faith. It's very easy to be enthusiastic. Everything is new. Everything's shiny. Everything's sparkly. You're living in the reality of the change. And it's easy to have that enthusiasm, to have that perseverance, to have that commitment. But then life happens. Trials. Challenges. Difficulties. Slights. Betrayals. And slowly by slowly, your enthusiasm is snipped away. It's like one of those snowflakes. You know, kids are at school and they make the snowflakes for Christmas. You know, they, they fold it all up and then they take one snip. And then they open it up and there's a whole pattern of things gone missing. Oftentimes our faith or our enthusiasm or passion for Christ can suffer that way. One little snip and you open it up and it's like whole sections, whole parts of us are missing. We no longer have that energy or that drive that we once had. But beloved, it's not really about your energy or your passion or your enthusiasm. None of us were as we were when we were 21. None of us are as we were when we were in single figures age. You grow up. And your experience and your relationship with God should grow and mature, change 
and deepen. And here at the end of these men's experience, we're seeing the demonstration of true and real faith that supersedes them. That our walk with God should be stronger at the end than it was at the beginning. And again, I'm not talking about your enthusiasm. Don't expect you to start running around Jakobstad with the maracas and the billboard. I can just see Don wanting to do that right now. Going around town. Can I talk to you about Jesus? No, no, it's maturity. It's walking in the ways, keeping his requirements, the Lord opening up doors, you speaking the word of God and pointing people to Christ in the real way. It's you being more mature and secure in your relationship with God tomorrow than you are today. So when the author here is painting the portrait of faith, he wants you to see that it's beyond today. That at the end of your life, you should be stronger. At the end of your journey, your pilgrimage through this life, you should have a bigger and broader a faith that supersedes your own life and is looking to legacy and knowing that God will fulfill his word. Jesus said, I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do we believe that? Are we walking in the reality of, or have we become defeatist? Oh Lord, you're not moving in this land as I want you to. Lord, you're not moving in this land the way I need you to. So therefore, you're not doing it. Lord, I, I want everyone to know that I, I believe first, I was the right person. And everybody else is just catching on. That's how we pray. That's how we think sometimes. We want revival so that, that, everyone, that, that everyone would see that we are right. Rather than wanting people to come to Christ for his glory and for their security. <clears throat> Beloved, Isaac was a man who, whose faith was matured at the end. Despite his many flaws. Despite his many, many failures. Failure as a father. Failure as a husband. Failure as a representative of God as an inheritor of the promises. Remember, God Himself appears to Isaac and says to Isaac, I'm, This is the blessing, and, and gives him the promise. He's not hearing it via his father anymore. But God Himself communicates the promise. And yet Isaac in his life is like, Ooh. But at the end, he stood solid and secure and stronger than the beginning. Our faith is to mature, not to become demure, not to get lesser, not to become shyer, not to become quieter, not to kind of sink away and somehow in some way become translucent or transparent. We're no longer seen. We're invisible ghosts. We are to be the ones representing the promise in this land. And that, that promise, standing and being secure in that promise. 
Go to verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. We all know that story again of how Joseph was taken into captivity, betrayed by his brothers. I think he was the 11th son of, of Jacob. And uh, he was already marked as a teenager, as, a, as actually single digits, as going to be the inheritor of the promise. God had communicated to him. He was demonstrated and indicated by his natural gifts and by his father's affections. By law, the inheritance should have passed to Reuben, the first Reuben means like troubled waters or the, the testimony of my strength. And by law, the inheritance should have passed to him. But in the kingdom of faith, in Christ's way, in God's edicts and dictates, God had passed it from Reuben, who was as troubled waters. There's no stability in him at all. He was just bubbling went to Joseph. And Jacob understood that. Jacob saw through all their circumstances, we all know the story, don't we, of how they came to Egypt. Joseph was sold into slavery. He went through the prison system. Butler and Baker were there. They had visions and he was able to translate the visions. And then, But even then, he was still kept in jail until a time when God gave Pharaoh a vision of these or visions same, two visions, same meaning. And then the uh, butler or the cup holder remembers Joseph. Oh, <laughs> oh dear me, I forgot. You know, that kind of thing. A couple of years go by and oh, I forgot. But all of a sudden I remember. Hopefully he's still there in the jail. They haven't executed him or something. And they go back and of course Joseph is there. Because God had kept him there in security. He was the manager of the jail by that time. God had so blessed him that in whatever circumstances that, that he was in, Joseph always rose to the top because the blessing of God was upon his life. Because he walked in God's ways, kept God's requirements, because he did what was right. God blessed him. And we all know the story. He's called before Pharaoh. He answers the vision. And he warns Pharaoh that God has warned him about the coming uh, famine Pharaoh says is there anyone like this man in all of our nation and raises him up to the, being the prime minister first minister of the nation from being in jail a slave in jail to being first minister in one day very good God then blesses him and he does all the preparations and seven years of plenty and all this rest and stuff and then come the, the years of famine afterwards and the terrible famine it goes through all, all the district and his own family the family of Jacob begin to suffer and Jacob then sends their brothers down to Egypt because he hears that there's, there's grain in Egypt they go down to buy grain and Joseph recognizes them and that begins the whole story of how they're to get there and in that we see God's providence Remember when Jacob dies right at the end and Jacob's, or Joseph's brothers are all worried that Joseph's going to take revenge against them. Now, now that their dad is dead and there's nothing restraining Joseph, 
They're all concerned. Oh my goodness. Payback is long time coming, but it's gonna come. Vengeance is best served cold. As they say. And now they're all like, oh, we have a lot to lose now. Oh my goodness. And he is the, he is like the king. His word is law. And they come and they kind of tell we white lie. Our father told us to tell, you know, and he didn't, of course. And Joseph says, listen, don't worry about it. For what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And he recognizes God's providence and how God led and guided and provided. Not necessarily caused to happen, but God was there in all of the circumstances, in the slavery, in the jail, in the throne room. God made those things happen. And Jacob recognizes this and recognizes that that it's through these circumstances. And he blesses and he makes preparation for the two sons. Joseph had twins. I can't remember their names. It's just called Manasseh and Ephraim, I believe. The two half-tribes. They're called half-tribes. It's not because they were half-caste, though their mom was not a Jew or a Hebrew, an Israelite. It's because they were twins. They divided the inheritance into two. And here Jacob is blessing the sons of Joseph in preparation for the kingdom that is to come. In preparation for, for the future. Because he recognizes and understands that they will have a part in the kingdom. And once again we see very clearly a man whose faith is stronger at the end than it was at the beginning. True and real faith doesn't fade. True and real faith doesn't become lesser and lesser. Now your experience might be like this. Your experience might be some days you're, you know, you're standing in the sun, other days you're in a snowstorm. But you're trusting that rock solid belief Jesus is real. It's alive, it's living. The Bible says here that he blessed the sons of Joseph as he worshipped Leaning on top of his staff. Now this is quoted from the Greek. Not from the Hebrew. In the Hebrew it says that Joseph was in his bed. In the Greek it says that he was leaning upon his staff. Not leaning upon his bed. And that's a small thing. It's not important. But anyway. And the idea here is that at the end. His faith was worshipful. It was reverent. It was living. It was Passionate about God. His spirit life was still there. It's almost an indication of his devotional life in that sense. We are getting a glimpse into his personal relationship. That again we call devotions. You know, that, that, that your private quiet time together with God. Joseph, not Joseph, Jacob demonstrates his private life before God in front of his sons as he is leaning on his staff. He worshipped God at the end. 
I know that I sound like a broken record sometimes because I'm old and I like to repeat myself. But we are called to be a worshipful people. All too often we become a critical people. All too often we become a judgmental people. All too often we become stunted in our spiritual life. We're so busy looking at the people around us that we've cut off the communication above us. So often we allow people to get in the way. Now remember when when Jacob is leaning on his staff and he's worshipping and he's an old, old, old man. He's wrinkly. He's blind. Probably deaf. He's got too much hair in his ears. You know that kind of thing. Smells like sheep. He's leaning on that staff and he's surrounded by his sons and his grandsons and whoever else might be there. And yet he's leaning on himself and the only person he's in communication to truly and really is God. He is in a worshipful relationship. And beloved, we should guard that. We should cultivate that. You know, way back in the day before we started this church, and even there was a little bit of a crossover period when we had our worship service and you know, we would, we would have people who would lift up their hands. You said, well, lift up your hands. And we just you don't do that in this church. Why not? If it's an expression of... Now, if you start waving a flag, we might have a problem. Start dancing around, especially as we're preaching, we might have a problem. But if there's an expression of, of worship, oh, Lord. Again, I, I, I don't do sporting events. My sport is to hit people. We all know that. Um, but if you go to a football people, I know I have some football. I'm married to a football person. I have a friend who's a football person. Football family, should we say. When they go to the sporting event and their side scores a goal or does well, I can't, I can't imagine some particular people. Whoa! That's how it is. They, they celebrate, don't they? they there's loudness. There's passion, appreciation, acknowledgement of the skill, celebration that they're going on of a victory. That's over an earthly thing. It's over a game with a ball. A game, a game with a ball that has no eternal circumstances or eternal situations. Not, not drawing up, putting away from it. Don't get offended at me, football people. But how much more should we be enthusiastic about he who gave his life for us? He who returned from the grave for us? He who shall return from eternity for us and snatch us up and save us from the grave that we might live with him in eternity future forever? Should there not be a little bit of a worship in the us? Again, I'm not saying this. Singing 15 choruses and back and forward. And trying to some Ashbury revival. Again, I think of the dream I had last night about... I won't go into it. False revival. But surely should we not be a worshipful people? And that the Bible paints the picture that true and real faith, as it matures, as it grows... As it becomes old and crusty, with hair in his ears, 
becomes a worshipful, a thankful, an appreciative faith that it's not afraid to worship in public before others. True and real faith is not ashamed to worship. So, again, we, we see the very first one with Isaac when he blessed Jacob and Esau and things to come. Here we see a faith that is growing in the end and it is far-reaching in its effect. It goes beyond the person that we know and understand that the promise doesn't end with me. That God's plans don't end with me. If I'm removed from the equation, things don't stop. The kingdom of God doesn't collapse. I'm not the keystone. You're not the keystone. But as we grow, we understand and we know and we, we take stock and, and prepare for the things that are to come. It gains perspective of how small we are and how great God is. That his plans stand forever. That we are but a living stone in this great cathedral that is the eternal church. And then again we saw in Jacob a man dying. That his faith was a worshipful faith. That that passion and enthusiasm, that daily devotion, that quiet confidence that he had in God didn't fade away. But his relationship grew and grew each day. Until the very end as he's about to head into heaven. He's not there complaining and wailing, confessing his sin. He's not saying, oh God, I have so many regrets in my life. And this man had a lot of regrets. Oh my goodness. Oh Lord, I have done so much wrong. Oh back in my day, it was so much better. He doesn't sit there and complain. Oh Lord, you said to me and to my father and to my grandfather that we would own Palestine, which is Israel. Okay. We would own all of that land from the Mediterranean to the Euphrates, but we haven't. Lord, you've shortchanged me. I feel as if I'm somewhat disappointed. I feel as if I've been shortchanged. Oh God, you haven't kept your promises. But he knows, he sees, he understands that those promises are bigger than just him. That the blessing is more than just him and his little tiny family. It is to the entire world that by him, by his descendants, by the people, Christ will come into the world. And that he will die, not just for Israel, but for all of God's people, those for whom the Lord should call. And he worshipped. Are you a worshipful person? Not just here when we're singing. Not just here when we're singing. Not just at home when you put your Spotify on and listen to some Christian songs or country songs. You know, I, I listen to a wide selection of music. Everything from 70s to 80s rock to blues music to all these things. To Irish music, Van Morrison, I love these kind of things. And when traditional Irish music comes on, I can really bang those songs out. I sing with all my heart because I'm an Irishman. That's what we're doing, we're just loud and proud. 
And then we stick on a, a worship song or whatever. Am I worshipful? When I look at God or do I complain at Him? Do I repent to Him continually? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so useless. Or do we acknowledge, you see Him who He is. We recognize what He's done for us, what He's doing for us, what He will do for us. And somehow in some way that it caused an eruption of rejoicing, of worshipfulness. Oh Lord, though I am un- un- unworthy, oh God, but you are great. You are marvelous. Oh, you are splendid in my eyes. And then finally, we get to Joseph. It says, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By this time, Joseph was like the Donald Trump of his time. That's scary to think. He was a multi-multi-millionaire, the leader of his, of the, of his people, but also of, it, of Egypt, the world empire at that time. And they could have lived in the understanding, well, God hasn't given us the, the Holy Land, but he's certainly given us Egypt. The biggest empire of the age at that time. Should we not just be comfortable and secure here and you know, put our people in secure parts and take over? You know, are we living in the blessing of God? No, we might not have up there. Sure, who wants up there? They don't even have pyramids. We have three big ones down here. Fantastic. But instead, he remembered, despite all of his wealth, despite all of his position, despite all of his prosperity and material possessions, he knew that God would call his people out of Egypt and that they would receive that which had been promised. And as he's nearing, he begins to make Preparation for it. Imagine living in the reality of something you can't even see. I know it's going to happen. Can you think of Noah? It's going to rain. It's going to flood. It's going to come. The waves are going to be higher than the trees. Cover the mountains. Everyone's going to die. And you're all looking at me going, you're mad man, Kyle. That's never going to happen. I'm so convinced it's going to happen. I'm going to build a boat. Not just an ordinary boat. But like... An office block type building, building so big that you, you, you would need an mob- uh, electric scooter to get from one side to the other. It's so big. And you're like, Kai, that's ridiculous. We see the same faith with Joseph, that they are safe and secure in Egypt, doing well, prospering in the land of Goshen, doing really well. And yet, Joseph knows that an end is coming, that God will deliver relieve or remove his people from this he talks about the exodus now remember at this time in their history egypt and israel are doing well they're at partnership with one another they're appreciating each other's cultures there is a a, 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 again a partnership they're happy with one another and yet joseph talks about the exodus or the triumphant exit as one person translated it, the triumphant exit from the land. That they would leave the land as conquerors. And we know through the history that they actually did that. 
God did the plagues, ending with the last plague, killing the firstborn. But also that the people gave them their wealth. They left the, the land plundered. Remember, the people were like, yeah, go take my, take my family jewels. Take all the wealth so you can go worship your God. We'll see you in three weeks when you come back or however long it was. And they left and they plundered the land. They took all the riches with them when they left. Here, Joseph is demonstrating that true and real faith makes preparation for the things that are to come. That is forward-looking and not backward-looking. It's not stuck in the present or stuck in the past. We who are reformed Christians, reformed, you all know I hate that word, reformed Christians. We can look at, at things like the Reformation and want to be, oh, the Reformation was great, great. And we kind of get stuck there. All we do is talk about the Reformation. All we do is talk about the boys in the band. Or we look at the Puritans. Oh, the Puritans, the Puritans, the Puritans. They wrote this and they were great and they're great. And they're great. Oh, we look at certain revivals here, there. Certain epochs and errors. And we get stuck there. We're always looking back rather than looking forward. And the kingdom of God is about moving forward. It's about not getting stuck in the past. Now, we need to remember the past as a historian, amateur historian. To truly know where we're going in the future, we must know where we have been that we can appreciate where we are so that we can plan where we're going. He who does not know his past will be doomed to repeat it. So it is important to have an understanding of the patterns of the past and how we got to where we are today in order we can avoid making mistakes in the future, in order that we can live quiet, peaceful and prosperous lives in the future. Absolutely. But when we get stuck there or comfortable, that's the danger. Joseph was not a man of this world. He was a man of the kingdom. The kingdom that is to come. And true and real faith, even at the end of your pilgrimage, of your life's journey, the tomorrow, your faith will be a forward-looking faith. A faith that's not... What's the word? Surrendering. That's what I meant. One that has given up. One that has said, oh, we're, as, it is, as it, it is, as it has always been, and the future will always look like it is today, will not. Change is coming. God will fulfill his promises. Christ will establish and build his church. Might not be according to your plans and your purposes. Might not be according to your ambitions. God is really careful there. The Bible says that God is a jealous God and gives his praise to no other. And far too often we as Christians make the mistake of praying, Oh Lord, may your kingdom come that I might be seen to be someone. That I might relish in the fact that I was right and they were wrong. <laughs> we become a stumbling block. Where we try and exploit the kingdom of God and what we'd really make is a kingdom of man, a, 
a denomination, a system, an administration, some sort of monarchy, some sort of oligarchy where the few dictate to the many. No king but Jesus, no sovereign but God. Beloved, let us be secure. Let us understand and know that as we grow and as we continue on in the faith, our faith will not diminish. It might change. It might, it will change. Let me say, it will change. It will mature. You will, might lose the passion of your youth. But your faith will become robust and strong. Of course, there are the, the, the aspects that we must do. We must be participants of this. Jacob did bless Jacob. Or Isaac did bless Jacob and Esau. Jacob did bless the sons of Joseph. And he did worship on his staff. Joseph did make plans. And he didn't just talk about it. I like that. The idea there is he didn't just talk about it. Oh, one day I'm going to die. And when I die, I want my funeral. He didn't like you kind of just throw those, you know, oh, dad, stop talking about when you're going to die. He actually made plans. He wrote a will. He, he organized the funeral. He, he organized the, 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 the moving truck and stuff. But he did it 400 years in advance of the actual event happening. <laughs> There's a man who likes to forward plan. He's made a spy. A man who, who has a, a good understanding. Don't leave it to somebody else or they'll make a mess. He knew that God would fulfill his plans. And you and I, beloved, we must be confident. We should be confident in our faith that God's plans and purposes in our lives, the lives of the church, and in the lives of the world will be fulfilled. Let me ask you again, are you a worshipful Christian? Not just here in the worship service when we're in front of one another. Not just when we're, we're, we're in front of official people. But in your private life, when only God and the angels see, are you a worshipful person? Are you a worshipful, for, worshipful person in front of your nearest and your dearest? It's the hardest person to be a Christian in front of, isn't it? Your family. Isn't it hard? I find it hard. I'll be honest with you. And when I'm with my brothers or my sister or my mom, I am a Christian wherever I go. But still, I find it hard to talk to them about Christ. There's, you know, there's some sort of... Ugh. Again, the Bible says that a, a prophet is acknowledged everywhere but except at home. But still, you still need to be a prophet. It doesn't dis- excuse you from that fact. Are you worshipful? Cultivate that worshipful spirit. Begin to... You say, well, Kyla, it'll feel fake. No, it won't feel fake. You'll simply be doing the thing that you should be doing. I want to lose weight. I want to get fit. Thinking about it, it's not going to get it done. Talking about it, it's not going to get it done. Wishful thinking never built a bridge, as they say. You got to go and do it. You got to start the old Chinese maxim. The journey of a thousand steps begins with a single one. 
You say, well, Kyle, I've never been that way. I'm not saying be a jumpy up and down person shouting and whistling and blowing trumpets and running around with flags. It's not worship. That's uninformed enthusiasm. Borders on culty behavior. Do you know God? Then cultivate a worshipful spirit. So that... At the end, you're, when you step into heaven, you won't be surprised when you meet God. Oh, you're a little taller than I thought. You know, I don't Because you've spent so little time in his presence now that when you get to that place where the presence is real, it'll be all new to you and strange. Cultivate, persevere. And have that forward thinking. Understand and know that the kingdom of God is not just yesterday and today, but it's tomorrow as well. You have a part to play in the tomorrow. Joseph made plans that were not fulfilled until 400 years later. Imagine you... Preparing things today that will be fulfilled in 400 years from now. Because that's what's happening. You as Christians, this church, your experience, whatever you're doing in your life is not for today. It is for the generations that follow We are laying down a path that others will walk in. We are doing things that others will benefit Again, think of the writings of the Apostle Paul. He was writing to his guy, he was writing, but yet here we are 2,000 years later reading them. The records of Moses, the first five books of Genesis, two and a half to 3,000 years, 6,000 years perhaps, some of them. I know that he wasn't alive 6,000 years, but you know, Job and some of the other stories. Beloved, whatever we do today has influence for tomorrow. And as Christians, our faith must mature and be strengthened and not, not be one that is... And that, that's the security that he's giving here. He's giving the Hebrew Christians of his time. He's re- reminding them the true and real faith lasts all the way to the end. It sees beyond itself. It's worshipful even in the midst of death. Even in the, 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 as you're about to leave this world, you're not trying to cling on with your very fingertips. I will not die. I will not give up. I will not give in. But rather, hallelujah, praise God. Amen. Bring it, Lord. Bring it. I long for your kingdom. Oh, Lord, you've been good to me, and I know you'll be good to your people. Beloved, let's rejoice and remain faithful and strong. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, Heavenly Father, help us, Lord. Help us as we continue on this path. The Lord, that we might be cultivated and transformed and changed from glory to glory. The Lord, we know that where we are today is not where we were yesterday or last week or a year or ten years But Lord, you have been active in our lives, leading us and guiding us. And yes, Lord, we recognize and confess that we're not always faithful 
Lord, more often than not, we falter, we fall, we make mistakes, we go the wrong way. Lord, we're like unruly and disruptive children. But you are a gracious, good Father. Lord, you watch over us and keep us safe. Lord, you have plans and purposes. Lord, you have built systems. Lord, you have a future in front of us. Help us, Lord, to rest in that, to know it. To know that you're not complete. Lord, you're not done with us. You're not done with our age. That there is a hope and a future there. Oh God, help us, Lord. Please help us. Lord, we are so affected by our culture. We are so affected, Lord, that we can become blunted in our worship. We can become dull in our worship. We become, Lord, afraid in our worship. The Lord, we pray that you would help us. The Lord, you would help us to rejoice more. That you would help us to be free more. The Lord, you would help us to love you more. That we would drink in that love and that love would come up again back to you. Oh God, that we might rejoice in you. Lord, I desire that on my last day that I might worship you. That I might Lord, celebrate in you. That I might look back and wonder and look forward with awe. Oh, Father, we pray, help us, O oh God, to know that the reality of the, what we do today is not just simply for us, but, Lord, for the generations that follow. The Lord, for the next, the, the, the second, the third, the fourth, all the way, Lord, even to 400 years from now, Lord, if you tarry, that people would be blessed by the actions and activities of us in our faith today. Oh, God. You are great and mighty and we take solace and security in the fact, the fact that you have said that you would build your church. Not even Hades would be able to prosper against you. Oh Lord, come Lord, we pray, come. We ask this for your glory and your glory alone in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.